Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Tim Rasmussen and you're listening to Pop Violence. I observed for as long as I could. The leaders have been assassinated. Communities flooded with drugs and weapons. They are overly policed and incarcerated. All over the planet, our people suffer because they don't have the tools to fight back. With vibranium weapons, they could overthrow every country and Wakanda could rule them all the right way. You return home at once or you will face the council and inform them of your crimes. He drew his weapon on me. Welcome, listeners, to another installment of Pop Violence. This is our eighth episode, releasing on April 24th, 2021. And this is going to be a conversation about Black Panther. I'm having the conversation with David from Amplify RJ. We're going to be talking a lot about restorative justice today, something that we've talked about a lot in previous episodes, but we get a little bit more in depth today. And I think it's sort of fitting because justice is something that a lot of people are talking about right now. Derek Chauvin was just convicted this week for the murder of George Floyd, something that has been a defining event of the last year, something that has driven a lot of people to question what justice means and what violence means. And while I don't understand everything for sure, and and I sh- while I strive to be empathetic and I strive to stand in solidarity, I can't imagine the experience of of BIPOC at this time and just in general, in, especially in the face of police brutality. But it still feels, it feels more important than ever to dive deeply into what the word justice means and to explore how we can redefine justice in a way that does not perpetuate oppression and violence. And so hopefully that's something that we can we can scratch at and get into to some degree in today's podcast. So without further rambling from me, let's get into it. Thank you, David, for being here. And I know that on your um, on your podcast, you introduce yourself with all your names and you also talk to your guests and you ask them who are you seven times? Yeah. And I love that. I just listened to a couple of your podcasts this morning um, in preparation for this. And I 
uh, I don't feel like I have the mic presence to ask who are you seven times, but I would you like to give ask- it a try. <laughs> I think I can try asking one time and, um, you know, feel free to share um, as much or as little as you'd like. But who are you, David? Yeah. So I, again, thank you for having me. Um, I introduced myself with all five names uh, for all of the ancestors. So David Ryan, uh, Barsega, Castro Harris. Um, and I'll go into some of that, right? David is my father's name. Um, Ryan might seem like, you know, oh, it's a typical name, but no, uh, Filipinos do this thing where they take names and smash them together. And so R-Y-A-N is mm-hmm. the R is from my grand maternal grandmother, Ruth. And then Y-A-N are like selected letters out of um, Yolando, which is uh, my maternal grandfather's name. So Ryan, that's that. Uh, Barsega is um, my mom's maiden name. Castro is the is my wife's family name. Uh, we both hyphenated our names. And then Harris is the name given to uh, my family, uh, probably uh, during the time of chattel slavery, right? Uh, we don't mm-hmm. know where that comes from, uh, but uh, my father's family is African-American. We have roots in the uh, Western part of Africa and my mom's family is from the Philippines. Uh, they came here in the 1970s. But I think it's important for me to introduce myself with all five names because mm-hmm. when I do this work uh, of restorative justice, um, it's about getting justice for my ancestors, right? The people who were harmed by uh, U.S. imperialism, colonization, racism that still exists today, um, Mm -hmm. as well as like building better futures for uh, the people who will come before me. So uh, David Ryan Barsega Castro Harris is who I am. I'm the founder of Amplify RJ, which I think you're going to ask me about in a moment, but I'll give you a chance to respond. No, yeah. I, I mean, that's just a really uh, a beautiful expression of uh, genealogy. And uh, yeah, I mean, just a really uh, cool way to introduce yourself. I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, that is going to be the next question. So what is uh, what is Amplify RJ? Yeah, so Amplify RJ is a platform that I created in March of 2020, dedicated to teaching people about restorative justice practices, philosophy and values, through a lens of abolition, anti-racism, and decolonization. And I'll go into some of those things. Um, Mm -hmm. I assume people who are listening to this podcast know something about restorative justice just because of the themes that you've talked about. And if you're listening from uh, the Amplify RJ audience, well, you know what uh, restorative justice is. Um, But if you're here to just hear a conversation about Black Panther um, and don't know the word (laughs) restorative justice, I think about restorative justice as a philosophy and set of practices rooted in indigenous values of interconnection that uh, focus on repairing harm when it happens, but also proactively build and maintain relationships uh, to prevent future harm, right? Uh, So much Mm -hmm. of this work is about relying on uh, those ancestral values of interconnection, right? So from my ancestry, words like Ubuntu, which is like a Southern Bantu phrase or a Zulu phrase with the idea of um, I am, because you are, or a person is a person through another person. Um, mm-hmm. In Tagalog or Bibayan, which is a pre-colonial language of the Philippines, the word kapwa is this idea of shared brotherhood or like the interconnection between all beings, right? And so of course, when you are acknowledging others as a part of yourself or like acknowledging the interconnection between you and others, um, you're not gonna throw people away when there's harm, right? You're not gonna be overtly punitive, right? That's just causing more harm to yourself and to your community. You're gonna look for ways to heal, to repair, to restore um, and proactively build relationships. So that restoration process is easier and we can prevent future harm. 
And it's not exclusive to Filipino people or African people, right? I think about words uh, that are have been used on this continent where you and I are, right? Turtle Island in the land that uh, we now call South Dakota, right? The Lakota uh, use the phrase mitakuyasin, uh, which is, you know, we are all relatives. Or the Diné uh, or Navajo people use the phrase like hozho, which is like this balance and harmony and all things. Or like even if we go a little bit farther south, uh, the Mayans use the phrase like in la quech, a la ken, like I am another you, you are another me. And so mm-hmm. restorative justice um, is about that repair of harm process, but really leaning into values of interconnection as well. Yeah, that's that's a really beautiful, I think, definition of restorative justice. And it's interesting. I love I love hearing all the things that you're saying. I mean, I learned about a lot of interconnected sort of ideas from indigenous people when I was uh, living in Hawaii and studying there and learning a lot from the people of the Pacific Islands. Um, and it's it's really fascinating and also uh, inspiring to hear how there's so many parallels across across a lot of different indigenous cultures that connect to that. And and I guess I want to ask, what is sort of the story of Amplify Arja? Like, what what brought you to this this restorative justice thing and to creating this platform that is is really like really widely uh, uh, read? Yeah, absolutely. Um... Thanks for bringing it back to that because uh, I kind of got sidetracked. Um, so in 2013, I was working in an employment program uh, helping folks find work. And those that were having the hardest time finding work were those who had records in the criminal legal system, oftentimes mm-hmm. because of drug use. Um, and so instead of looking or things related to drug use, right? Um, and so instead of thinking about who are the quote unquote felon friendly employers, I started to think about what are the root causes of this. And so in that research, learning about the war on drugs, learning about other contributing factors to mass incarceration, whether it's the school to prison pipeline, often the foster care to prison pipeline, mental health challenges, homelessness, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and along the way, I learned the word restorative justice. And at the time, I thought about it just as this alternative to causing harm. Around the same time, I was applying to graduate school and I moved to Chicago and got a master's in social justice at Loyola University. And I learned a little bit more about restorative justice there. But at the same time, I was working with community organizations as well as in like tangentially in the criminal legal system and in schools about what restorative justice really meant. And so I did that work for, um, you know, four or five years. Uh, But then I moved back to Los Angeles and was pretty clear that I didn't want to continue to work um, in nonprofits. And so I started this platform just as an Instagram account, right, to share about what restorative justice is. I think the words restorative justice often get thrown around a lot, especially like in the case most recently of um, there there was a man uh, in Portland, uh, a white man in Portland who punched a Chinese man in the face. And uh, right now they're going through a restorative justice process and people are like outraged about like, he got off easy, but like, Hmm. I don't think people fully understand what the word phrase restorative justice means. And like, I'm not going to judge what's actually going on in that process without knowing. Uh, It's just like, I'm not going to judge what happened in Amy Cooper's case, right? Amy and Christian Cooper, what happened uh, in Central Park, where she called the police on him for asking him to leash uh, her dog. Um, And, you know, she made that threatening phone call. She went through a restorative justice process. And I'm not one to judge without knowing what actually happened. But I want people to know what restorative justice really is when those cases uh, get brought up or when people hear about it in schools or hear about it in some other form in the criminal legal system. So they can make a judgment for themselves. And I think 
once you know, like a definition of restorative justice that I give, it's something that you would want to embrace and practice in your own life. And so Amplify RJ does massive public education, right? Both through our social platforms. Um, we have a podcast as well, this restorative justice life um, and um, providing deep learning opportunities for folks, right? Uh, we multiple times a month, we're hosting like introduction to restorative justice workshops. Uh, we do have some asynchronous uh, offers for people to, uh, you know, just watch videos and read. Uh, we provide deeper learning experiences that uh, by the time this airs, I'm not sure like they'll all be ready uh, to share, but stay yeah. tuned for them coming up. Um, yeah. And then we have uh, this group called the Future Ancestors Collective, which are a group of warriors, healers, people who really care about building this better world from future generations um, mm -hmm. by leaning on the wisdom and uh, experiences of our ancestors, right? This idea of Sankofa or uh, the great law of the Iroquois or Haudenosaunee, right? Mm -hmm. um, not just thinking about what's gonna benefit us now, but generations to come. So. Uh, those are all the, I guess, in short, those are all the Amplify RJ things that are going on. And there's so many other questions I, I actually kind of want to ask you about like restorative justice and um, what you're doing with restorative justice. But alas, we are here. And for maybe those listeners who are here exclusively for this, we are here to talk about Black Panther, the movie Black Panther. So <laughs> we should get into it. And hopefully we'll get to like some of these other um, things that I, I wanna ask you as, as we talk about Black Panther. Um, but first I actually wanna ask you in relation to that, as it, it, well, it's, in, it's been really interesting for me in this podcast because I've, I've had in some ways a tough time um, finding the right matches of people to speak with and, and movies to speak about and um, trying to just, and then also um, really trying to look at them in with an analytic, analytical lens that I'm not trying to like force certain viewpoints onto the film that aren't there or whatever it might be. So there's been some challenges and only one other time have I gone into a podcast recording where the other person is the person who suggested the movie to me. And I, <laughs> and I thought it went really great the last time and I'm excited about this time, but I wanted to ask you, I, I'm not sure how you became familiar with my uh, podcast and what, what pop, pop violence is all about, but I guess I'm wondering what made you want to suggest Black Panther as a film that you thought would be good to talk about on this podcast? Yeah. So two separate answers. One, okay. I found out about you because a little while ago I did a collaboration with um, this Instagram account run by uh, a woman named Jess, and I'm not remembering her last name, but shout out Jess and oh. the So You Want to Talk About um, platform, right? And we did a collaboration uh -huh. about like, So You Want to Talk About Restorative Justice. Um, uh -huh. Being the enterprising person that I am, I decided to go through all the comments <laughs> and, <laughs> and like connect with interesting people who I saw uh, who had commented on the post and you happened to be one of them. So that's how I oh. found you. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the greatest thing. And I'm really excited to be on this podcast because, um, and I don't know if it was in any of the episodes that you listened to. One of the questions that I asked guests is like, where, or like what specific situation is a place where you wish people really knew this work. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the example that I used to give is like, 
I really wanted to know what restorative justice would have looked like within the context of Wakanda, right? Because like oh. at the end of the movie, we're we're spoiling like uh, we're spo- if you haven't watched Black Panther, uh, sorry, go watch the movie, I guess, yes. and then come back. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know uh, when T'Challa uh, stabs uh, Killmonger, right? Um, he uh, Killmonger doesn't want to be healed uh, because. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, what are you going to do? Lock me up? No, bury me with my ancestors. And first of all, it's like, it's like way too easy to heal that stab wound within the context of Wakanda, right? We've yeah. seen somebody take a bullet and be cured in a day with a Kamoyo bead and some surgery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and do you really think that Wakanda has like a carceral system replicate like that replicates like the U S criminal legal system. And so like, that's where that went for me. And so when I saw that you had a podcast that was exploring these ideas within the context of movies and pop culture, I was like, all right, this is it. Let's, let's get to it. Yes. No, that's really fascinating. And I, I sort of had that thought at the end of the film and I, and you know, here we're, here we are starting, starting at the end of the film. Um, <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, uh, reflecting on that will, will probably cause us to sort of, you know, go back and, and talk about some of the other pieces of it. But um, what do you think? I mean, I mean, let's explore that a little bit. Like what, what would a restorative justice process, uh, what would that entail? Do you think with Eric Killmonger and uh T'Challa and the rest of Wakanda? Yeah, that's that's a tough question, right? Because <laughs> you have uh, in restorative justice and I think in a lot of justice work or conflict transformation work, we, we all know this idea of like hurt people hurt people, right? Mm-hmm. People who have been harmed often cause harm in order to get their needs met. And so what Eric Killmonger uh, was raised to do um, by his father Njobu, right? Um, talked about like getting justice for oppressed people, um, African-Americans. Like he grew up in the home of the Black Panther Party, right? In mm-hmm. Oakland um, and had a mother who was incarcerated because uh, she was um, uh, using drugs, right? And mm-hmm. his father was murdered by the, or, or killed rather by by the king of Wakanda, his brother, right? Yeah. And he was left abandoned, right? And so like, uh, you know, what comes to mind really, um, and, you know, I'd be happy to come back and talk about um, restorative justice and The Last Airbender. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Right? Something I've always wanted to cover on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> right. But, you know, Zuko had the same kind of thing. So the, the proverb that really comes to mind is that a child that is not embraced by the village will burn it down to feel its warmth, right? And that Ooh, applies yeah. in so many contexts. Uh, you know, Zuko in... Um, last airbender and like killmonger here right mm-hmm. um so so he's experienced all this trauma in his young adult life and you know he comes back um years later after relying on learning from the oppressors right the u.s uh, military on how to become like this very skilled killer uh mm-hmm. tactician fighter um, insurgent, all these things, and is going to take it out on the people who he believes caused him the most harm, right? Which I think in a lot of ways is justified. If you think about, uh, mm-hmm. I, I can see how he gets there, right? When you think about, you know, what are his needs? Um, I don't know that you're really going to meet your needs by carrying out more violence, but you can see how he gets there. And so when he's confronted with this idea of like, I have been defeated, right? The only thing that he knows to think about is like, okay, I'm just going to get punishment. So Mm -hmm. I would rather die. 
But what would healing look like in that circumstance, right? Um, what would it look like to relearn Wakandan history? What would it look like to uh, have T'Challa and other folks say like, yeah, what my dad did to you was was terrible. We should not have left you, right? And that was like one of the, to me, like that, the, the scene where uh, T'Challa is going back to talk to um, his father on the quote unquote ancestral plane about like, why did you leave um, an orphan child, right? Mm -hmm. To grow up in this world. Like that's the, that's the biggest harm, I think, of the movie, right? You left yeah. this child here to be um, socialized and grow up in this world that taught him to, to hate right? Yeah. When you could have, well, I mean, I think the other harm is like, you stopped the bullet. Why did you have to stab your brother and kill him? Why couldn't you like stick a Kamoyo bead in there and like heal him, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> and then bring him back to Wakanda, right? Lots of like logic holes there if we're yeah. trying to be restorative, but there are just definitely a ton of different ways that that harm could have been prevented. But I realize that I've been talking for like 10 minutes and I'm no. going <laughs> to turn it back over to you. That's why, that's why we're here. You know, um, the one thing you made me think of, and one of the things that I actually wrote down before getting on this podcast was the quote from T'Challa and what he says to his ancestors um, on the quote, ancestral plane. Why didn't you bring the boy home? He was the truth I chose to omit. You were wrong to abandon him. I chose my people. I chose Wakanda. Our future depended. You were wrong. All of you are wrong. To turn your backs on the rest of the world. We let the fear of our discovery stop us from doing what is right. No more. I cannot stay here with you. I cannot rest while he sits on the throne. He is a monster of our own making. I must take the mantle back. I must. I must right these wrongs. I think it's it's sort of fitting in a way because we we started here talking about you know your ancestry coming you know that's such a integral part of your identity and and your work and and this last time watching Black Panther and it and I'll be honest it's maybe been like four years or three years since I've watched Black Panther and it's been a while since I've I, I've never really like gone into it and like really tried to really analyze it um, and. I found that that moment was really bold and like just very, um, how do I put this? It, the whole thing with the ancestral plane, I always found fascinating. Cause I, I'm always, I was trying to understand, is this, is this, you know, a hallucination or is this like, you know, him like actually talking to these people or is it his own sort of um, ideation of what his ancestors are and his own connection with them? And I don't think that it's either or. I think it's probably sort of a, a, a more ambivalent uh, answer. But um, I, it feels like you can see the internal strife within T'Challa that as he's, as he's critiquing his own ancestry, but he's also feels like he's you know trying to uh, redeem it at the same time. 
um, I found really uh, powerful. And one of the other things that um, uh, King T'Chaka says in that part that I found really interesting in regards to restorative justice was that he says when, when T'Challa, like you were saying, tells him like, how could you leave this orphan child? He says he was the truth. I think he says he was the truth that I chose to leave out. To omit, yeah. To omit. I rewatched it last night too. Oh, did you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I found that line really, really compelling because, well, the first thing that comes to mind, and maybe this is me exposing my, uh, my uh, academic, um, like over academic, overly academic side. But the first thing that came to mind was this like theory of reconciliation that I think a lot of like people who study restorative justice and also peace building are familiar with, which is that reconciliation happens where peace, truth, mercy, and, and justice are all present, right? And so when he said, this is a truth that I chose to omit, um, that's like the first thing that came to my mind. I was like, whoa, like, so there's, there's a truth there's a truth that is embedded or a truth that is personified by the character who is Eric Killmonger, um, a truth about Wakanda, a truth about global capitalism, a truth about the history of the world. And what, what is the harm that we do when we just choose to leave out truths like that? And I just, I, connecting those dots for me was really, I think, revelatory in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, can you say that again? Reconciliation is peace, truth, mercy, and justice. Was there one other thing? No, oh, yeah, it was those four. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that brings out for me is like, you know, say what you will about how effective truth and reconciliation uh, commissions have been. I think they have shortcomings, but you know, mm -hmm. it is what it is. But like the essential part of that is truth, right? <laughs> you yeah. can't heal from something that you're not acknowledging, right? Um, and so when uh, T'Chaka like is trying to cover up that, you know, his brother was the one who, you know, uh, collaborated with somebody to like steal vibranium from Wakanda, like that, that's a hard truth to, to bear. And like, it's represented further in, you know, this orphan child, right? Uh, yeah. but there is like internal uh, strife or like ideological difference within your community, within family, right? Who grew up similarly, um, but, you know, have different worldviews and like not wanting to deal with that to uh, preserve their isolationist um, kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. Protect their own, um, ended up causing immense harm. And, uh, you know, like, and I also do just don't want to put that on King uh, Chitaka, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because that's the way that the uh, Wakandan kingdom had navigated the world for centuries and centuries, right? And um, I just want to put out there for anybody who's listening to this that is like super into the comics. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry that we're not getting everything exactly right. We're basing everything that we're talking about explicitly just on the movie. But yeah, um, so if there's more history that we're uh, omitting, apologies. <laughs> Well, you know, MCU, it exists in its own, you know, reality separate from the comics. So we're, that's the reality we're dealing with here. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. But yeah, to that point, right, he was socialized, like T'Chaka was socialized as a king to just protect um, our kingdom, right? Protect our people, not worry about what's going on in the outside world. Let's make sure that us and our people are safe. And I know one of the questions that you have, like, you know, at what cost? 
right? Like, how is this unjust? And I don't think there's a clear cut answer to that, right? Because uh, if, if you look at the map of Africa in the beginning of the movie, so uh, Wakanda is probably somewhere in the DRC, mm-hmm. probably. Um, so it's not Western Africa where, um, you know, so many people um, were brought onto slave ships, right? Um, yeah. It is also like pretty central into the continent where you can imagine like some people may or may not have explored or uh, were killed and like never heard from again, right? So like there's there's a logical uh, assumption that you have to make that like Wakanda was never discovered and exposed to the outside world in that kind of way. And still they figured out how to navigate and have spies and all these other places. So they did know some of the things that were going on. Mm-hmm. Um, when you know that harm is happening uh, to people who are, you know, quote unquote, your people, right. Uh, Killmonger talks about how like, you know, isn't everybody from Africa? And so uh, like, aren't yeah. all these people your people? Um, you know, when you're ignoring the harm that's happening to other folks, like I don't know what the right response is right there. Um, mm-hmm. Because like, how much do you risk to, to help others? And if we, we have this ethic of, you know, uh, we are all interconnected, um, doing nothing in those instances harm yourself. And I don't know what doing that something is, right? Because I'm not someone who is uh, totally like nonviolence is the answer in every situation, right? Hmm. Stopping harm in some instances, preventing death in some instances require uh, violence, right? And Mm so I I don't really know what the, uh, what the solution would have been there for uh, people in Wakanda, like kings and rulers in Wakanda over the years, uh, watching slavery, the transatlantic slave trade happen, watching colonization of other African countries happen. Like, I don't know what their their move could have been in -hmm. any of those circumstances. Uh, But like, it isn't just like, this is all the fault of white people. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. No, yeah, that that's really interesting. And it makes me think like, you know, the, I feel like that's, you know, that's the position that, that T'Challa is in that I think is part of the reason why this movie is such a powerful movie is that it, it's really like a lot. Of, I don't, I want to, I don't want to say all of us are in the same position T'Challa is in, cause that's not true, but I guess in the sense that, um, we can't change necessarily. We can't, we, we definitely can't change the way that our ancestors or our, um, or the way that the system or um, the institutions that we're a part of have previously dealt with uh, harm that's gone on, but it's sort of that, then the prerogative is like sort of, so how, how do we go forward? You know? And, and I think that that's, seems to be like the one of the big struggles as well and I, it almost feels to me at times in the movie I actually kind of felt like T'Challa didn't really know like what the answers were for sure like at, at times he felt it seemed like he just wanted to I mean obviously he wanted to kill Eric Killmonger but at some times it, it seemed like you know it, he was he was sort of neither here nor there he was really sort of confused and lost um, and so that's I think that's a big part of the conversation as well that that you just made me think of um yeah i don't know yeah i mean there, there's a lot right at the end of the movie he's like you know what we're gonna start like 
a science program <laughs> and like yeah. in um uh, in Oakland, right? And a way that you can look at that is like, oh, how paternalistic, how black savior of you, right? To go yeah. and set up in another place in the world to share all the knowledge and wealth you have with these poor people in America, right? Yeah. And um, just and yeah, I've I've also I don't want to cut you off, but I've I've seen other people, um, some like different uh in, in different social spheres, I mean, really like cr criticize the ending of the movie and saying like, oh, well, Wakanda had the power to, you know, reset uh, the political hegemony of, you know, um, oppression on the globe, but they chose to open a YMCA. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, which is very reductive, but continue. No, I mean, I mean, that's right, right? Where it's like, uh, um, I think, Oh, uh, this is in the following MCU movie, right? When mm. uh, Danae Guerrero's character, uh, Okoye, right? When, mm. um, you know, the Avengers are coming into uh, Wakanda, like to take the last stand against Thanos, right? She's like, when we, when I thought, when you said opening up the world, opening up to the world, she's like, I thought you meant like Starbucks or like the Olympics. And I'm like, right? Like, oh. and <laughs> acknowledge that like this, this does exist within like, a Disney uh, intellectual property vehicle, yeah, right? And so like, certainly. of course, those are the ideas that uh, are going to be coming up. But I, I do think it's worth critiquing, right? Like mm -hmm. what could Wakanda have done um, with like their technological uh, power? Like what is the quote unquote new world order that um, they could have started to bring about where it's like leveling the playing field of, uh, you know, Africa being this place that has been stripped of so many resources, right? Um, over the years because of colonization and enslavement. But, you know, now Africa uh, and so Wakanda and the surrounding countries, right, could have started to become this power center. Um, and, you know, that that really shifts the the balance of like, how the world operates, how people in the world operate without getting uh, like, I want to, I don't want to get beyond my depth about how uh, like China is now um, like putting so many resources into uh, industry in Africa, right. And making folks dependent through there. Mm -hmm. um, and like, it's not that just China has done it. Like Western countries have been doing it for, for centuries. Right. But mm -hmm. like, how could Wakanda have pushed back on some of those things, right. For, um, their own sovereignty, but the sovereignty of their, uh, you know, international neighbors. Yeah, that's, I think that's really, uh, that's a really good observation. It, um, it makes me think of just what the, what are the, the I guess the, I guess the, so much of it then becomes like imaginative, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and it makes me think, and maybe this is just a, a question that is, is inspired by, um, you know, our crossroads in this podcast that we're crossing sort of restorative justice with um, Wakanda and thinking about, you know, th theoretically or hypothetically in this, in the world of this movie, Wakanda has the resources, the wealth, the power to, to affect massive structural change. Um, and then we're talking, we're talking here about restorative justice and I, so let's let's play with our imaginations, I guess, a little bit. If if you're comfortable with it, I wonder, like, what what does that look like? What what does what does structural change in the direction of restorative justice look like? Yeah, I think one of the things, right? You know, um, you said T'Chaka uh, was like he was saying, like, uh, Killmonger was the truth I chose to admit. Like, uh, 
T'Challa did the same thing, right? When Eric comes into the throne room and challenges uh, it with the intent of challenging him for the throne, he was like, get him out of my presence. Like, we don't want to address this. What if the response was like, oh my gosh, my cousin, like, I am so sorry this happened to you. Let's mm. figure out how to make this right from jump, right? Um, mm. It might've, I'm sure that would have met been met by a lot of resistance, both from um, Killmonger himself, but also Wakabi and other people uh, in Wakanda who were sympathetic to like, yeah, let's go out and like flip some tables and turn the world upside down violently. Yeah. Um, but, you know, having, maybe it looks like detaining him for a little bit, but in that process of <laughs> uh, detaining him, right? Thinking, like listening to his story, right? Fully hearing that. And really trying to figure out what are the ways that we can uh, heal moving forward. I think that could still have also happened after he got stabbed and <laughs> healed. And like part of that uh, mm -hmm. could have still been a part of that process. But what does it look like to write, to reconcile, right? To tell the truth, uh, get justice uh, with like th these ideas of peace and mercy in the in the in the balance, right? Um, it mm -hmm. does look like, all right, what is Wakanda accountable for? Um in the harm that is happening uh, around the world to African people, right? Um, or, I mean, you could start on your continent and then you could like expand to, mm -hmm. you know, the global diaspora. But um, I think it starts right there. Like what is Wakanda accountable for? Like, what is the harm that we have caused? And then I think, like, right? Cause it's always internal work, right? when we're thinking about restorative justice, yes, there are systemic things, but like, what are the things that like you can look internally and do yourself and mm -hmm. then like start to think about like, okay, so how can we pull in people from the UN and flex on them, right? Because like we have power that they don't know that we have, but we can flex on them and say like, hey, like this is what's gone on and this is not gonna happen anymore. What are we gonna do to right the wrongs of the past? Mm -hmm. And getting to do that from a position of power um, could have resulted in, in a lot. And yeah, what are some things that you're thinking? Well, I think, um, well, it feels, uh, there's this feeling of like a little bit of like frustration, not about, not at you or anything, but at the, uh, just, uh, I guess what norm normative thinking around me often feels like. And that's when you, when you say the phrase, um, Wakanda could start with the harm that they have done. Mm -hmm. Um, it really makes me think of, you know, I think coming from an American culture, um, a white, uh, very privileged uh, upper middle class background that I come from, it feels very much like that question would be very simply and easily answered with, they haven't done any harm, they haven't gone out and hurt anyone, right? Um, and and I think a lot of that is rooted in like individual individualistic or individualism, like that, that seeing, or I guess even in just my family doesn't own slaves. Yes, exactly. Or like <laughs> Wakanda didn't do anything, didn't hurt anybody. Like we didn't have the slaves. We didn't um, colonize any of our neighboring countries. We didn't hurt anyone. Right. We didn't have any wars, none of that. Right. There was no harm done by Wakanda. And there is like, I think there's a major paradigm shift or a, a major change in worldview from Eric Killmonger to maybe T'Challa at the beginning of the film or other members of Wakanda's council or what have you, that there's this difference in understanding what the word violence means even mm -hmm. and what, and understanding how harm is done. 
Um, and it makes me think of sort of that, uh, and I, I'm going to, I don't know the exact words, but the sort of famous Martin Luther King Jr. quote where he says that his sort of biggest obstacle is not the, the uh, members of the KKK, but it's the moderate white that sort of just let everything happen and just sort of are complacent as things happen, that that's the biggest obstacle. And that I think getting to a place where we are comfortable and, and able to understand how harm is done and that interconnectedness, like where you started with talking about restorative justice, um, I think is, is it, I guess I, I have the emotion of frustration because it feels like that cultivating that sort of mindset is just such a, an uphill battle, at least in a lot of the social circles that I come from. Right. And I, I mean, I do think it helps people sleep at night, not to think about some of those yeah, things, right? Certainly. Like, how are you, how are you accountable? And like, I don't want to, th this isn't like an ideological purity thing, right? Where it's mm -hmm. like, you know, like I, today, like I ate um, like this orange that was that originated in Mexico, right? And like, what did it take for me to eat that orange, right? It took like migrant labor. It mm. took this use of fossil fuels. It, look, it took this much water. It took, like, that's not what I'm talking about, right? Like that's, if you stopped and thought about everything on that scale, like that's paralyzing. But like, yeah. what are the circumstances um, that you're dealing with now and how can you move forward um, in the best way, right? Like there's no ideological purity in all this, but like, take a look around it. Like, so for Wakanda, right? Like you have this vast wealth of resources, right? You have infrastructure, right? If we're to believe that like they have quote unquote war dogs, spies all around the world, you have infrastructure within those communities. What would it look like to not like militarily equip those people, but like technologically equip folks around the world to even playing fields, right? What would it look like to start to like, and so like one of the things that, um, uh, T'Challa did like he bought up that whole block in Oakland right like what would it look like to start flexing that wealth to like give things back to people right mm -hmm. buying it and returning it to people um, because that's the world that we live in right of course it would be great if like colonizing nations would just like return sovereignty back to the people um, mm -hmm. they've colonized um, but you know and making maybe making that request is the first thing but like in the world that we live in let's let's imagine that they say no, but there's mm. still like things in the private sector that you can do to, to, to flex those, to, to get those outcomes, right. Where people are more empowered to uh, self-determine, right. Being given back the resources that were taken from their communities. Right. I'm not saying, I don't want this to be heard as Wakanda can pay reparations to African-Americans. That's mm. not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm saying like, what are the things that we can do as interventions in communities that are um, hurting that will give those communities like the self-determination in order to, um, you know, choose what, um, to meet their needs uh, and do it in a way with dignity um, and self-determination. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and I was just re li recently listening to one of your podcasts and, you know, um, I think it was with Shaniqua or Shadiqua. Shadiqua, sorry. Yeah. Um, it was with Shadiqua and she was saying that, you know, she does b believe in the idea that you can transform systems by, you can reform systems, I guess is mm -hmm. what she was saying. And that's, and that is a definitely a controversial um, belief, I think, to carry in um, a lot of social justice spaces. 
Um, but it sounds like that's also sort of what you're saying, if I'm understanding you correctly. Yeah, I'm not someone who spends an incredible amount of time thinking on systems level, to be mm, honest, right? Like, okay. I think so much more about like, what are the things that, uh, like through the, specifically through the platform of Amplify RJ, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I believe if somebody has this way of thinking, right, like they can start to make decisions that um, are mutually beneficial in everyday life, right? And then question policies within the organizations that you work in, within the communities that you work in, and vote for people or run for office or support uh, ballot initiatives that like are in line with those kinds of things. Because like, while I don't think, um, you know, the representative democracy that we have in the United States is like the best way to govern, it's what we have, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, oh, like, how can we both be building the thing that we want while like still living in the thing that we're in. It, it, it's not mm-hmm. like, they're not mutually exclusive. I'm yeah. definitely, I'm spending a lot more of my energy thinking about like, how can I equip people to think about and reimagine some of these things rather than like, what are the changes that we can make? But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that, I love that. That's very, um, that's very Paulo Freire. That's very uh, popular education. Um, yeah, I like that a lot. And it, you know, I, I'm glad that, um, part of what you just said, I think is really important. And something that, something that I feel like this, this movie actually does quite well. And that's trying to um, disrupt uh, dualism or like dualistic thinking where Mm -hmm. it's like, it's either, or like it's either revolution or reformation or it's, and I think that's like, that's actually like a big part of the movie, right? It's like, it's either reformation or revolution. Um, And like Eric Killmonger really saying like, we need violent revolution and well i guess and then at the start of the movie it's really wakanda saying no we don't um <laughs> we just need isolation which i think is you know sort sort of seems utterly unhelpful but um yeah disrupting that dualism of, of saying like by saying you know we build what we what we can also change what we have um i uh, i appreciate that a lot one of the other things that i've been thinking about is like what did um what did a response to harm look like within the context of Wakanda, right? Hmm. Where so many people's needs are met, right? So you're probably not having the same rate of crimes of survival. You probably don't have like a rampant drug trade, right? That's causing all sorts of different problems. But, you know, people are still causing harm to each other, whether they are breaking laws or uh, causing harm in some other way. They do Mm -hmm. have a military, right? Which is generally for protection, right? But like, what does policing or quote unquote policing look like um, in Wakanda? Like, I don't know. They don't really address it. I would love to see a Disney plus show about like (laughs) nuances of like everyday Wakandan life. Right. Because you do still have like class stratification. Right. And so like Mm -hmm. there's conflict there. Um, that's just something that like, I don't know that there's like a concrete answer to, but I would love to see it explored. (laughs) I would love to see that explored, like without the context of like, you know, white supremacy and colonization culture, like Mm -hmm. being put in there, like there was a world before uh, policing and carcerality being the dominant way that people dealt with things. And I'm curious, I'm just curious what that would have looked like within the context of Wakanda. Well, you know, uh, David, maybe you should, uh, maybe you should pitch this to Disney. Um, (laughs) 
so it's funny like uh ryan coogler yeah. uh the director right uh when i was working in chicago i was actually uh working in a summer program with one of his nieces so i might have to oh. hit up alana and be like hey yo tell your cousin <laughs> yeah. we've got an idea we've got a yeah. big pitch no i love that um that's um I mean, just for me, one of my inspirations for doing this podcast has always been the fact that I've found that in some ways, fiction can be sometimes more powerful than like nonfiction, I guess I'll say, or like reality in some ways. And that like, like what, like we, we can, we can imagine what that would look like and how that does almost like what you're doing with, with Amplify RJ. It, it, it changes people's ways of thinking. And so, yeah, I think that that's a beautiful idea. Um, and that's something that I, yeah, I oftentimes think about things like that. I've, and I, you know, I talk about it a little bit in the Star Wars podcast as well, of just like sort of grappling with or approaching fiction in that way where it's like how can we imagine it, it, it feels so difficult to like imagine like what a world for instance based off of restorative justice would look like mm-hmm. from within the context of our own world right but sometimes it can be easier to imagine that and, and get some more of a, a grasp on what that could feel like or what that could do um when we do it through you know a, a fantasy or, or a work of fiction and so i find i find that really compelling and and in this case in wakanda it's it's still it's not fully it's not like it's star wars where it's like a whole nother world a whole nother reality but it's you know sort of a uh i don't even know what the word is like partial fiction it's like something that doesn't actually exist but it's kind of within our own world uh or it's constructed that way to a degree right right yeah, it, because like it's not that there aren't problems within everyday Wakandan life. Like I do yeah. still think that there's like some semblance of patriarchy going on. Um, yeah. Right. But like things aren't as complicated, and I know that it's a lot easier to imagine things um, within like small context, right? Within within your family, it's pretty easy to imagine like what it looks like to be restorative. I'm not saying that it's easy to do and execute, but it's pretty easy to imagine Mm -hmm. uh, what that looks like. And like, even if we think about like, what does restorative justice look like in a workplace or in schools, that gets a little bit more complicated, right? Because Mm -hmm. people come in with different goals. Like, like everybody has a different role where there are some people who are trying to like make a living. There's some people who are getting service, right? Whether you're a student or a client of an organization. And there are people um, who like, so like I was talking like employees, uh, Mm -hmm. owners, and then quote unquote owners, right? Uh, People who are holding the power and like clients, people that are served. And so like, how do you balance restorative principles and all of those things? How do you explicitly have conversations about uh, needs uh, and uh, expectations, right? For people and meet those needs and, you know, repair that harm when uh, when it inevitably happens and have like those Mm -hmm. systems and practices in place. Like I, I can like, prescribe like okay a restorative process means that like you ask you know what happened who was impacted and how and how do we make these uh, needs uh, how do we meet these needs whose responsibility is it to take mm-hmm. care of each of these things how do we transform like and if you want to like zoom out to like a transformative justice lens right how do we transform the system in which this harm happened in the first place mm-hmm. um that's easy to say 
but the application of that in every instance is different and it gets more complicated the more that you scale it up yeah definitely and uh, i've also at least this is just an observation i've made in my studies and, and a little bit of my practice uh, around restorative justice and 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 uh, related fields that it feels like at least based on the way that we're sort of normatively conditioned the more i don't want to say egregious but the more like violent something feels the the more complicated and the more uh impractical uh, the restorative process that you're describing uh starts to feel as well yeah i mean and you have to have hope right that yeah <laughs> you have to have hope that um this this resonates with people and like i know that it does right because that's the work that i've been doing over the last mm -hmm. well the last year through amplify rj and longer through other platforms like people do want to be in good relationship right um and the way that our world is built is um like individualistic and yeah. separation right um the amount of people who are listening to this podcast who don't generally agree with us <laughs> mm -hmm. um, is like very, very low, right? Mm -hmm. So like, you know, sometimes I think about like how much of this is just like an echo chamber speaking to the choir. Uh. <laughs> um, but like the other part of me is thinking about like how maybe we're giving language to people who can have the conversation with the next person who's like, maybe less open, but like, because of the relationship that they have, they're able to go a little bit deeper and like, Hey, I heard this podcast talking about like the superhero movie <laughs> and like all the like moral implications of that. Um, <laughs> like, I wonder what restorative justice uh, would have to do with like the situation that we're going through right now. That's yeah. the challenge to everybody listening, right? <laughs> Find the person in your life um, who hasn't uh, heard about restorative justice and be like, you know, I heard this podcast talking about restorative justice in Wakanda. <laughs> what would it be like in XYZ situation that we're going through? No, that's great. Yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a big part of what I would hope can come about from this podcast, hopefully just as specific as you just put it as well. Um, <laughs> but also, uh, yeah, I think that I've, I've always felt really um, Im impressed by um, like just theories of like popular education or just the idea that, you know, it, it, instead of just, you know, giving people new ideas or giving people uh, new things or not new ideas, but giving people ideas or giving people information. Um, it's about sort of um, inviting people to uh, engage with you in a different type of thought process. Um, and I try to do that with this podcast and specifically in regards to how people relate to pop culture, you know, like how can we, how can I, if, if, for instance, so like, like the invitation you just made to the listeners, I would say like, so how could you go from this podcast and say, well, I heard this podcast about black Panther and, and, and uh, restorative justice. Well, now when I go and watch, um, what's a popular movie right now godzilla versus uh king kong what is, what is this i don't even know i don't <laughs> yeah, even know yeah. what the movie's called but godzilla versus kong um what does that have to do with the world around me you know um and sort of start to interrogate things a little bit as well so yeah it's it's um 
you know, I think it's all part of uh, trying to uh, engage ab about uh, these sorts of uh, ways of thinking as well. Yeah, yeah. All these different mediums can be, and I think like the power of media, right, is injecting these conversations into lots of different places. And so thanks for uh, letting this be a space where we could have this conversation. Okay, sweet. Because um, I do I do feel like we've covered a lot of the film, actually. I feel like, um, you know... I well, mean, for... I, I think one of the things that we didn't really cover oh, is go like, ahead. you know, not... We didn't go so much into depth on like, you know, the, the role that colonization <laughs> has played yeah. in constructing the world, right? Uh, we, yeah. we briefly touched on it, right? But there are themes of that right when uh killmonger is in that museum in the british museum talking to this Absolutely. lady about like where all the where all these artifacts have came from were they stolen <laughs> like sorry were they bought at a fair price right no yeah, yeah. uh like and i we did speak a little to the conditions that killmonger grew up in i think you know one of the things that i also uh would highlight in the, that space is like you know killmonger probably didn't grow up and think well, I'm not, I'm not here to judge like, or pr project like what he was thinking. Right. But a lot of times when you are an orphan, right. Feeling isolation. Um, he, he probably didn't think like, where is it that I can get like all this training and vengeance? Like mm -hmm. I'm going to go to the, uh, U S Naval Academy. Right. Like mm -hmm. what those institutions do is give a person a sense of belonging. Right. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times people ask like, you know, why do people join gangs, right? It's to get a sense of belonging. It's to become a part of like uh, this culture that tells you that, you know, you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Sure, he had ulterior motives, right? To subvert all of those things. Um, mm -hmm. But like, you know, joining the most powerful gang in the world, the US military, right? Mm -hmm. um, like is a place where people uh, can get an immense sense of purpose and belonging. And we see that uh, rampant, uh, still, right? Obviously yeah. not to that extent where, um, you know, people are becoming super soldiers and independently on their own overthrowing <laughs> uh, African governments, right? But like yeah. that that industrial complex that uh, Everett Ross, the CIA agent was describing, like is very real. And like, there needs to be um, a real reckoning with <laughs> the way that the US has intervened. Um, or quote unquote intervened or overthrown or destabilized governments in lots of different places in the world. Yeah, I think that that's really a fascinating um, part of the movie as well. And it, it it's so interesting because the, the interventionist, like uh, if you want to call it that, it's like almost like a, it's almost like a polite word for how the United States operates, the US military operates. It's, it's really like, you know, it's interesting that it's so polar opposite to what Wakanda does, but mm -hmm. it is, it, they're both, you know, sort of harmful in their own way. And I find it, I find it really interesting that, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There's this, um, I guess a, a type an archetype of, uh, what, what I would say is, is definitely like a, a pipeline to, hmm, what's the word I want to use here? I don't know if it's extremism, uh, or violent extremism, I think that is reflected in in Eric Killmonger's story, like what we hear about his story before he appears in the movie. Um, but I guess you could call it that. 
violent extremism, a pipeline to violent extremism that it yeah. is that is quite common, not just in the U.S., but uh, 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 in in many different places. And I think something that is increasing right now or in the last three to four years with people m- more in relation to like white supremacy or white nationalism. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a really, really um that's a thoughtful way observation to make as we're thinking about, you know, how does, um, what are other in- interconnected ways that the individualistic uh, way that our society is set up and the culture is set up are adding to violence happening, I guess. That, that was, I don't know why that was so hard for me to spit out. I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> No worries. Yeah. No, it's it's important. Another thing that I think about, like, as we're just talking about themes of the movie, like, Mm. right, Wakanda in general as seen is seen as this place where things are generally good. Um, And I know, I know we touched on this before, but like the harm that your well intentions, your good intentions cause, like you're still responsible for. (laughs) Yeah. That's such a good point. Yeah. So it's like, what are the things that, folks are doing like as well intentions as they are like protecting family right um you know that that are actually causing harm yeah beyond like for beyond yourself but like to other people as well yeah well it's like wakabi says you know he even says in in the movie like a line that i feel like was taken directly from um uh, politicians in the last five years if you let refugees in then what kind of oh, becomes becomes yeah. just like everywhere else right yeah they bring their if you let them in their problems come with them right yeah yeah and it's like wow i i i i don't remember um that line standing out to me as much the, the first time i saw this film and this time i was like whoa like that's you know directly from the uh uh like build the, a wall crowd yeah exactly like yeah. the 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 politicians um playbook um but when you say that too, another thing that comes to mind for me, and this is maybe, I don't know, I don't know exactly. I haven't, I don't have, I haven't fully formed all my thoughts on this critique of, of everything. But as we're talking about Wakanda and trying to think about what they could do and, and sort of how, how the, the society itself might or might not be oppressive or harming, you know, other people. Um, one of the things that stood out to me as I was watching the film was just how, how the, the system of, of government, despite being different than, you know, what we are familiar with was still predicated on, on violence um, at sort of the end of the rope. Like, and I guess the, the way that that comes to fruition is with the ceremonial combat and mm-hmm. I don't know if, I don't know, I haven't seen, it's hard to fully uh, advance um, critiques against it because it's like, you know, you, I, I don't, I, I always want to tread lightly if I'm like critiquing uh, another person's, I guess, cultural traditions. Um, and I know these are uh, actually like technically fictional cultural traditions, but it just made me think like, you know, if, the if the the entire basis of your government is based off of who can kill the other person um that might be a problem right and being of royal blood right yeah it's still it's still a, like a monarchy yeah it's yeah. definitely like uh 
well, <laughs> is this really the way that we would want things to be? Probably not, right? But yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so that was something that that sort of jumped out to me. And I and I, I try not to get too weird with metaphors and analogies um, in this podcast, but sometimes I can't help myself. Um, and I and I just sometimes I feel like that is is a the the ritual combat. It almost feels like it can be a reflection of how. Um, I guess we could call it representative democracy has like devolved um, (laughs) in relationship to capitalism. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh So it's like really what we've got is basically just who, who is better at being violent is who is in power um, when push comes to shove. Right. Yeah. The end of the rope. And so I think that there, I don't know. I think that that is maybe looking in a little bit deeper than was ever intended, but um, I tend to do that on this podcast. So hopefully the listeners are okay with it. <laughs> I mean, like, I think like, yeah, we can like write it off and say like, yeah, it's a movie. Right. But I think like art in all its forms, the purpose is to drive conversation, to think about these things. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we're doing here. I'm wondering if, um, and I'm, I, I, I feel kind of uh, dumb for this, but uh, I usually will ask my guests. One of the things I include in the, the, the prep email is are there any quotes that you want to bring to the, the conversation? Um, and so let me, let me put that out there. I know that I didn't prepare you for this, so I apologize in advance. From the movie? Yeah. Any quotes from the movie that stand out to you for whatever reason? What, what, what's standing out to me right now is, and this might not be like on any quote websites for for this movie, but when Killmonger, um, is about to throw, um, T'Challa off the, off of Warrior Falls, right? Mm -hmm. The speech that he's giving about like, I've been waiting my entire life for this. Like I've killed on every continent, even people uh, who look like me, my own African brothers, like all of this I did just to get here and kill you. Like to me, that is like going back to that idea of like a child who is not loved by the village will burn it down to feel the warmth, right? Like Mm -hmm. these are your people. And like, because you have not felt the love in so many different ways, like, everything was on the table for you to get what you want. I think like that's the mm-hmm. worst uh, logical conclusion of like by any means necessary. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something that just is standing out to me right now. Like no. what, what are the conditions that bring somebody to do that? Yeah. And I think that it's part of, I think that's a huge part of restorative justice and, and some people might get semantic and say like, Oh, that's, you know, that transformative justice piece of it, you know, is, but I think, I think it, I mean, I don't, I don't really, uh, I guess, get too caught up in the distinction there. But yeah, that idea of looking at that. And I think part of one of the other quotes that I think it relates to that as well was, um, I think it's in the same fight. He says, I le- Killmonger says, I learned from my enemies, beat them at their own game. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't remember if you remember that. And I think that that was sort of a similar sentiment of like, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm doing what I know how to do and to to get to the goal that i want and and it's like well what what are we teaching people right just, well just uh, yeah go ahead i was gonna say the flip of that is the master's tools will never will never dismantle the master's house right so like mm. what are you doing like you're just replicating the systems that they've taught you yeah right uh those systems of domination before david and i take just a few more minutes to wrap up this podcast i want to highlight 
that quote that he just shared, which for me felt familiar when he shared it, but I didn't fully recognize it as a quote from Audre Lorde that gives us this great insight into what it takes to bring about genuine change, genuine transformation. And I think that it really drives home why the work that Amplify RJ does is so important and why the conversation that we're having right now is so meaningful. And that's because this is work and conversations that we're having where we're trying to familiarize ourselves with tools, new tools that are not the master's tools that can be used for doing the dismantling that is so desperately needed and desperately wanted. One last thing, I guess I shouldn't say one last thing, but (laughs) I would like to, we came into this, we came into this podcast and and you, you spoke about Amplify RJ specifically from a lens that's interested in abolition, uh, anti-racism, decolonization. Yeah. Um, and those are really, um, relevant topics in this film. And Mm -hmm. like, we've just sort of, we've just sort of touched on that. Um, and I guess we, we could have touched on that a lot more, um, directly. Um, but I would hope that people sort of, you know, have, have a grasp on that. And that's, that's really what Eric Killmonger's motives are really rooted in. Uh, burning something down right abolishing something i just i guess i'm just wondering to reorient ourselves or to to really um recenter the conversation or, or bring it back to to where to the foundation i guess is what what is the role that restorative justice can play in those movements movements for abolition anti-racism decolonization yeah. Yeah, uh, I want to lean on uh, Ruth Wilson Gilmore talking about abolition is about presence, not about absence. It's about building life affirming institutions, right? And so like, while Mm -hmm. Killmonger is trying to dismantle things that are causing harm, he's not actively like replacing uh, like life giving institutions, right? And so the the work of abolition is to reimagine and try a bunch of different things. Um, and now I'm leaning on Miriam Kaba's words, but like try everything, right? It's about experimentation about like how we can live these restorative justice principles of interconnection um, in systemic ways, right? Both the mm. systems in our families, in our communities and in globally, right? So like interconnection, compassion, respect, equity, and equity not just being about race, but about all the intersections of identity, right? Gender, um, ability and disability, right? All of these things. Um, Mm -hmm. It's this idea of like, how do we utilize these principles to give life? Not to police each other on like each other's like missteps and bad behavior, but creating spaces where people um, can like thrive and live life. And of course, like there's correction and repair when uh, we inevitably harm each other, but like what are in, in wholeness, like what are we trying to do that is going to uh, give life and help people thrive? Love that. Yeah. That, that is a, that's a really powerful distinction. I think that you made there um, between the vision of Eric Killmonger and um, Gilmore's, is it Wilson Gilmore or just Gilmore? Ruth Wilson Gilmore. Wilson Gilmore's, yeah, yeah. Ruth Wilson Gilmore's description of um, what abolition w- would say or what abolition means. Yeah, that's that's really insightful. 
Well, um, David, I don't know. Is there is there anything else that you feel like is uh, is uh, glaring glaring at us that needs to be talked about? <laughs> I don't know. We've been talking for an hour, so I think we've covered so many things. Uh, I invite people yeah. to you know just rewatch. Um, yeah. Like I, I think my rewatch was like. So I watched it twice in theaters and probably like five, six, seven times since. Mm-hmm. Um, always learning new things. Um, and, you know, listen, subscribe, share, rate, <laughs> all yes. those things on all the platforms. Of course. Um, check out, this is going to be re-aired on this restorative justice life, but uh, I talked to other RJ practitioners, circle keepers, and others doing the work about how this work has impacted their lives, uh, both personal and professional on that podcast. Engage with us on Amplifier RJ in ways that make sense for you and your community. Um yeah, I just have shameless plugs. <laughs> there, no, yes, no, all the plugs. I always say uh, something weird that I do every every podcast that I do. I end up um, replugging and like uh, justifying the logic, the entire logic behind my podcast. I did it today when I talked about how we're using pop culture. I do it every every time. So yes, we're we have no problem with plugs here. And I definitely want to also urge pop violence listeners go check out Amplify RJ. Um, like you said, it's 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 a huge platform on Instagram. Um, but there's so many other resources and activities and connected um, communities. Um, that are happening within that movement. And so uh, go and check that out. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 